1: Well, we welcome you back to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas.
0: And I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode seven. Don't panic. It's a panic attack.
1: It seems like an oxymoron. Um, so kind of a fun episode today. Uh, air quotes around fun because we get to be surgeons, Nikki. We're going to channel our inner surgeons because we're going to dissect something just like high school biology class. But this time we're just dis- dissecting a panic attack. Ready for it? I'm ready. All right. So first, what is a
0: panic attack? So a panic attack is just an an intense wave of fear that just mm-hmm. kind of comes out of the blue and it is super overwhelming. And for
1: many people who have them, it feels like you're dying. A lot of people will say, I feel like I'm dying or I was on death's bed with a cold or everything. Mm-hmm. Legit physical symptoms of this include chest pain heavy breathing. I mean, people go to the emergency room thinking they're having a heart attack for things like this, right?
0: Mm-hmm. All the time. Hmm. That, I mean, th- th- that's very, very common. I have had many, many referrals from people who say, I'm here because I ended up in the ER and they said I was having a panic attack. And so I need to know what that is and why it's happening. So it, it has very physical symptoms, shortness of breath, um, nausea, uh, feeling faint or lightheaded, muscle tension, sweating, um, just almost you know, disturbed vision, huh. uh, all of those things can happen. And it, it comes out of what seems like nowhere, um, and it can last for 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, and it's just terrifying at the time. And, and you can have them really at any age. The most common time for people to either start having those or um, be diagnosed with panic disorder would be um, the late teens, early 20s. Um, but you can still have them much younger. So so children do have panic attacks, adults, any
1: age. Okay. And I personally have never had a panic attack. You?
0: I had an episode that I think was pretty close to it, okay. but I knew what it was because it was after after my education in mental health. And so once I recognized, oh, hmm, I think that might be what's going on. I, I kind of knew what I needed to do. And that I think kept it from being really scary.
1: So I have never had a panic attack, but I live with it in my house, and I've seen them in action, and they are terrifying to watch. Putting yourself inside of one has to be awful. One night, not too long ago, over the summer, my 11 year old son had one in the middle of the night. It was like 11:30 midnight. What got him out of it was just rubbing his back, talking to him in a nice, calm voice, telling him he was in a safe place. Um, We started talking about some things that we've learned in therapy that were triggering to get out. The next morning. I ask him, I'm like, okay, dude, can you put into words what you were feeling? And this is what he described to me, which made a lot of sense. And then also helps me for the next time it happens. Have you seen the movie Pearl Harbor?
0: Yes, it's been a little while, but I've seen
1: that. So the main scene of that is the attack on Pearl Harbor where the Japanese surprise us. And I'm talking about the movie, not the actual event. So it's like 30 or 40 straight minutes of... Big special effects, explosions, intense music, confusion, screaming, pandemonium, people running away, others running toward the chaos. If you've seen the scene, you know what I'm talking about. That's how he described a panic attack. He has seen the movie, he liked it, he likes World War II, and he was like, I felt like that in my head. It was just pure chaos and screaming and loud noises and explosions. So that kind of helped me put in an 11 year old's term what he experiences. And then the next time, he has one, then maybe I can refer back to that movie and maybe do one of the funnier scenes that's in there just to kind of get him out of it, which kind of leads to my question along lead in there. Can you get someone out of a panic attack or is it just something that has to last until your body regulates itself?
0: Well, the answer is kind of a combination of both things that you just said. So there is essentially a panic attack is Um, just a a sudden onset of the fight or flight process. So because there is some biology there and you are, you know, experiencing a physiological surge of, you know, adrenaline and hormones and all these chemicals that are designed to kind of speed things up, it, it is difficult to just you know, stop or just pause mm-hmm. it and have everything go back to normal. There is a little bit of a process that has to take place, but you absolutely can catch it on the front end. Um, early on, if you start to see the signs, you can do some things that keep it from escalating to, you know, the highest intensity. And so, you know, it's 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 definitely something that if you know some tricks, um, whoever's having the panic attack, yourself or a child, um, you can learn some strategies to, to keep it at bay. Uh, the hardest part about panic attacks is that they're so frightening that oftentimes after people have one, they spend a lot of time and energy fearing having another one because Mm. it's such a a frightening and scary thing. And so for many kids, you know, they they may not have another one for a long time, but their anxiety is now up because Mm. they had that one episode and it was so frightening they don't want to have it
1: again. Yikes. Two things I want to go off of that, but first to go back when you said some of like the trigger points, can you tell you're going to have a panic attack? Back when I was in middle school... I was prone to migraines and I would know when one was coming on because my vision would get not blurry, but like white specks would start coming. And that would last for about 20 minutes and then just bam, there's that pain. So I knew sitting in class when I started seeing those white spots to get to the nurse, cause I had to go home cause the migraine was coming on. Turned out to be cheese. I would have cheese the night before and then have the migraine the next day. Also odd with that, I outgrew it and like went through puberty. And then all of a sudden it's like, now I can eat Cheese until I'm blue in the face. Oh, thank goodness! Ah, know, right? Thank goodness! Thank thank goodness for. I was very concerned. Said no one ever. (laughs) Said nobody. (laughs) (laughs) So, are there telltale signs that you're going to have a panic attack?
0: Yes, it's, you might notice some of the, you know, some of the symptoms I just listed before, like your heart is racing, or maybe, you know, your vision might feel funny, or um, you might feel your muscles tensing up, or you're starting to sweat, or your breathing pattern has changed. You might notice those. And if you are familiar with, you know, pretty comfortable with your own body and how things work for you and how different things feel, um, you, you can notice and you can say, okay, I, I think this is, you know, I'm I'm on the verge of panic. I need to go do some things to calm down. The other thing is a lot of times for people, the treatment for and prevention of panic attacks is learning what keeps things at a baseline. So things like, you know, getting enough sleep and making sure you have something to eat and making sure you're not overdoing it on caffeine and making sure your stress is well managed. When those things are in place, you, you're less likely to have, a panic attack. And mm. so for many people, the first line of treatment is to figure out those things that you need to keep your anxiety at a minimum. But when you recognize, oh gosh, I haven't slept well for like three or four days and I'm really having a hard time with, you know, my stress right now, gosh, you know, these, these could be triggers for a panic attack. So I need to take some steps to reduce that.
1: And I also noticed that they wipe you out. Like once you're done mm-hmm. with one, you're, I mean, your body has been in that fight or flight mode fighting mm-hmm for Mm -hmm. several minutes, and then you're just zonked after that.
0: That's exactly right. And it it really is. It's just an extended, you know, unnecessary fight or flight response. Um, And so your body feels like it's just been through something terrible and and it needs to recoup. And so if you have a child that's having panic attacks or you yourself are, um, self-care after the fact is a really important part of of recovery. You need you know, you need to rest. It's you, you can't expect someone who's just come down from that elevated state to all of a sudden be able to think clearly and um, have lots of energy and be ready to go. And so it's important to, to know what's happened and then regroup and get some
1: rest and then come back and try again. Sure. Here's your test. That gives you the panic attack once you're done. And it's like, okay, buddy, take your test. That's just not going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to see that. And it's, it's important to say, I mean, you could have somebody who gets really, really anxious or is very nervous about a test or is, what we might say, freaking out about something, but it doesn't escalate to the point of a panic attack. A yeah. panic attack is a pretty clear thing when it's happening. And so, you know, that's, that's different. The the hard part, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, is that for many people, the problem with the panic attack is it becomes now you've got this sort of fear of uh-huh. having one again. And so then you might start to avoid certain things because they might make you anxious enough to have another panic attack. And so now you've got, you know, children who don't want to go to school because something there might trigger that they don't want to go in public. They don't want to be around other people, all of those things. Um, You can start to avoid that. And that actually makes the anxiety worse because you're not learning the skills to get through those things and work through those things. And so avoiding situations that trigger panic is not the answer. It's, you know, keeping your anxiety baseline low, learning some skills, learning to recognize what you're feeling and working through it and then, you know, continuing on with life.
1: Yeah. What a vicious cycle. Yikes. Can, can they be physically harmful to your body? We mentioned how they can feel like a heart attack and a heart attack is, you know, there's damage somewhere in your heart or there's a a clogged um, vein or something that needs to be fixed. Once the panic attack is over and your heart's raced and you know, you've profusely sweat or whatever, your, your breathing um, has come back to normal. Is there any lasting effects physically on your body?
0: One thought is that like when you have, you know, a release of adrenaline and all that stuff, it takes a certain amount of time for your body to reabsorb that. So the more of that, of the stress hormones that you have floating around in your body, the more ongoing damage it can do to your body. So huh. being in a panicked or stressed out state all the time will, over time, negatively impact your health. Um, it A panic attack in and of itself, you know, is, is not dangerous or life threatening. But the problem is that it feels that way. And then, you know, the after effect of of having your stress level that high is certainly not healthy. Um, the, the hard part about this is that there's, it, they can occur, you can wake up, you can be relaxed or asleep and then wake up having a panic attack. And that feels very unsettling for people where they can't, yeah. I, I don't know what triggered it. I have no idea. I was sleeping, nothing happened. Um, and so one of the first things, if somebody comes to me and they say, I think I'm having panic attacks. First thing I recommend is for them to visit with their primary care physician to rule out an underlying medical cause, because because there are medical conditions that can trigger that sort of fight or flight response that, you know, feels like a panic attack that are actually medical issues. So if you've been to the ER for one and they're sending you on for mental health care to treat it. OK. But if you haven't had it checked out, it's a really good idea to see your doctor and let them know what's happened, um, especially if you can't find a clear trigger. You know, I met people who you know, they're, they're referred on to me and they say, I don't have any stress in my life. I've never had anxiety before. I don't know what's going on here. And we track it and we look for patterns and we can't find anything. And when that happens, it's time to go back to your doctor just to be sure.
1: Okay. So if you are around somebody, um, you know, this is about children, but adults have them too. So if you're on anyone, child or adult who's having a panic attack, what do you need to do then run and get help? Or do you help try to calm them down? So first of all, as as
0: I've said in all the other episodes where we've talked about what to do, step one is stay calm yourself. Make sure that you are not um, joining them in the panic attack because that isn't going to help anyone. Um, It's just only going to add to their distress. Um, Second would be if you can, you know, get that person to a quiet place. Maybe try to help them focus on their breath for a minute. Try to get them back to just slower Calmer, you know, just a, a, a more gentle breathing pattern. Sometimes if you're really panicking, thinking about your breathing can actually, you know, make things feel a little worse. So you maybe don't start there. For some people, you can try something else first. Um, if you're working with a child, doing something physical, moving your body, jumping, um, taking a walk, going outside, those kinds of things can kind of help to re-regulate and get you back, in, you know, into the state of mind that you want to be in. Um, help the person get out of their own head. And this goes back to a trick we talked about before, Chad, where, um, you know, a panic attack is taking place in your brainstem, right? That's, that's the part of your brain that's taking over in that moment. So you want to get back to your frontal lobe. You want to do some things or ask some questions that might pull that person back into that. So if it's a child and you want to ask them, um, you know, what did you have for breakfast yesterday? What's three plus three? You know, what happens when you mix red and blue? Those kinds of things can help. Um, if somebody's really panicking, sometimes the more you say or do, you know, the more more upset they get. And so you might just be quietly present and just keep your breathing slow, stay there, keep them safe. And eventually they'll kind of write it out. One of the the best things that you can do is remind them that it isn't going to last forever. The problem with a panic attack is when it's going on. You feel like you're going to die and that this is how you will feel for the rest of your life. And so having someone remind you gently that, Hey, it's going to be over in a few minutes. You're going to feel better soon. Those can be helpful things to say. And, okay. and that's true for you know, a, like a teacher, a parent, a friend, anybody that is trying to support someone through a panic attack. Those are things that I would recommend.
1: Okay. You mentioned there a little bit um, like teachers and stuff, but if these happen at school or for like an extracurricular coach, Um, you know, I think that's another episode actually, Nikki, of, of youth sports and anxiety um, that we can get to later down the line. But what, what then if you're in charge of 20 some children in a classroom or, you know, 15 kids on a team and one kiddo is needing that extra attention, that's again, they think that they're dying. It's not that it's just the requiring attention. They physically feel like their life is about to end. How can you help them?
0: I mean, a part of this is having a good, um, well-managed classroom where you have easy access to support yourself as a, as a a staff member, a teacher. So if there's, you know, a school counselor, social, emotional coach, somebody like that in, in the situation who can take over with the child who's struggling, um, so that you can continue on with the rest of the class. That's great. Um, if not getting the, the, the child kind of away from an audience, you know, and then in making sure they're safe and coming back and just kind of balancing that's it's a stressful situation to be in as a coach or a teacher, because it's, it's not your child. You don't know exactly what might've set it off. You don't want to say the wrong thing and make it worse. But um, the truth of the matter is staying calm and just, in just getting that child, you know,
1: uh, to a safe place is the best bet. Is every panic attack the same? Is it always going to be a heart racing, uh, shallow breathing kind of thing, or can they look different?
0: They can look pretty different. I mean, from person to person, but also for each person. So I you know, I've heard people come in and and talk about, you know, oh man, I had a bad one yesterday. You know, and so there's degrees of Mm. severity with these things. And so you might have someone that just gets a little lightheaded or maybe their breathing is a little bit, you know, quicker than usual, but then they rein it in and they they get back on track. Um, but you might have someone that, you know, it gets more severe. And and so um, I've met children and adults alike who, who have mild panic-like episodes, you know, so it might not fully qualify for, for panic attack description, but um, it's definitely anxiety um, that, that's like over the top and hard to manage. Uh, but then I've, you know, met people that, that have very extreme ones. So basically, I mean, to sum up, it, it varies from person to person, and then each person can have different experiences each time.
1: Okay. What we talked about how long they can last like 15 to 20 minutes. Is there like, can they last an hour or better?
0: Not typically simply because your, your body doesn't want to stay elevated like that for very long. If, if, if you think of the function of the fight or flight process, it wants you to get to safety and then it, then it immediately kind of has these, uh, calm down things that take over to help you regroup and, and recover from that period of, of intense um, escalation. And so, you know, most people are not going to panic for an extended period of time. Now, <laughs> I, I would say that there's probably people that would argue with me on that because mm-hmm. it, there's a thin line between being really, really emotional and being in a panic attack. And so, you know, I've worked with students and kids who, you know, oh my gosh, I panicked for two hours. Well, maybe they were crying and upset and having a really, really hard time for two hours, but the true like panic attack symptoms probably didn't last that long simply because again, your body kind of automatically wants to bring you back down, you know, to a more, more typical level pretty quickly. Um, But, but again, that, changes from person to person. I mean, I I think it's based on your experience. And the best way to shorten the length of a panic attack and the intensity of it is to get very, very familiar with what the symptoms are and figure out what works for you. And so this is easier said than done for some people, right? If, if, you know, really um, anxious kids sometimes are overly sensitive to their physiological stuff. So they can tell you, if they're going to get a cold three days before they get a cold. cold, they can tell you, you know, all these, they just, they're super in tune with their own body and they feel it, but it's alarming because they don't know what to do with all those different sensations. And so for those kiddos, they're so aware of how they're feeling that sometimes it's kind of hard to back out of that and recognize the patterns and work with it. Um, but, but they can learn and it, it takes time, you know, it, it takes time and talking about it.
1: What advice would you have for a kiddo or even an adult who experiences a panic disorder and and frequent panic attacks of, you know, sometimes I would think it could be perceived as embarrassing. So you don't want someone to know what's happening or is it best to be open with it? Or what advice can you, do you give to people that would help them?
0: Well, I think there's a wide range of, of things there. There are many, many people who not only fear panic attacks, but they fear other people seeing them in that Mm -hmm. state. And so, you know, that's, that's just, oh man, that's a double whammy. It's not only do I you know, not want to have this experience, but I, I don't want anybody else to know that this happens to me. Um, one of the, the fastest ways to kind of get through it though, is to become more comfortable talking to your support group about that, your support network, your family, your closest friends, the people that you're around when they know it kind of takes that fear out of it, takes that level out. And you, know, you could just focus on managing your symptoms and getting, getting back to where you want to be. Uh, but you know, you with, with kids, it's very hard because they, they don't know that lots of other kids probably have those same symptoms and yeah. so working with them to help them understand they're not alone. This is, the, they're not the only child that's ever felt that way or the only person that's ever felt that way. Um, that's thats part of it.
1: Can you outgrow panic attacks?
0: Yeah, I mean, I—I I, with skill development and kind of okay. learning y- your own patterns and recognizing it, certainly um, if you get just better at managing anxiety and better at understanding. I think for so many people, understanding what anxiety is really, really helps. And it kind of reduces those. Like I said, back in the beginning of this episode, um, I haven't had what I would consider a full on panic attack, but I had had a period of time, you know, where I would get really, really anxious and, and start to kind of feel those physical symptoms and think, oh my gosh, what's happening. But because I knew what it was and I understood what my body was trying to do and that it was really just my brain tricking me into thinking I was in danger, it was a lot easier to rein that in. So you can grow out of it simply by learning more about it and better understanding what your body's doing and then understanding what your body needs. And I can't emphasize this enough. If you know that you need eight hours of sleep, um, that you can't have too much caffeine without being jittery and on edge, or, you know, that you can't handle a whole bunch of projects at once, but you ignore those things and you get five hours of sleep a night and you drink two pots of coffee a day and you take on more projects than you can manage. You're always going to be kind of on the verge of panic. Your anxiety baseline is going to be, you know, much, much higher. And, and you're, so you're going to be more prone to them. So knowing yourself, knowing what you can handle and taking care of yourself is
1: the best way to prevent them. Yeah. Listen to your body. This might be Absolutely. going off on a little bit of a tangent, but in our last episode, a variety of anxieties, we talked about phobias, and as you were talking um, about the panic attacks, like claustrophobia kicked into my head of something like that. Can phobias lead to panic attacks if you're in a small space?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Any. He- any of those anxiety disorders that we talked about could re- potentially result in a panic attack. So if you've got somebody that has a strong fear of, you know, spiders or blood or something like that, um, and they are exposed to that thing, you know, their, their fear response is going to be very strong and very, you know, difficult to manage if they're not able to get away from that thing. And so a panic attack is possible. Um, but that's also true of a child with generalized anxiety disorder. If they're just their worries are so intense and they're they're not you know checking those things or talking to someone about them or working through them or using their different skills or strategies and maybe not getting enough sleep or you know, just, just their self care is down. They, they could have a panic attack as well. Um, I've seen kiddos with obsessive compulsive disorder escalate to the point of a panic attack when they're not able to do what they need to do to kind of, you know, the, the obsessive behavior uh-huh. when they can't do that. And so any anxiety disorder could result in this, but, um, and it's kind of refer back to that last episode as well. Panic disorder is a, a diagnosis you get if you're having recurrent panic mm-hmm. attacks. Um, but you may qualify
1: for panic disorder and another diagnosis at the same time. Nikki, are there any chances that like men have more than women have panic attacks or is this something genetic that can be passed on from generation to generation?
0: Yes, yes. So uh, statistically more women than men do have panic attacks. Um, It does not mean that men don't have them or that boys can't have them. Mm It just uh, seems numbers are higher for women and it can run in families. And so, you know, you can see, Um, some genetic components to this
1: as well. Which could be helpful if it runs, you know, if you have a a parent or grandparent who's susceptible to panic attacks and you have the grandchild or the kid, there's a little relatability there. What about a first panic attack? I mean, that's got to be terrifying anyway, because like we said in the earlier part of this episode, people go to the ER thinking they're having a heart attack that they're Mm -hmm. dying. What about those first panic attacks? What do we need to know about that? Well, it, it, part of it is just looking back. What might have triggered it?
0: Look at what your sleep habits have been like. Have you taken a new medication? Are mm. you eating is your social activity different have you taken on you know new projects new tasks if if it's a child are they in a new activity that might be you know creating you know additional anxiety in your life what's going on medically do you need to see your doctor i mean if you've had a first episode of a panic attack I mean, it's time to do a little bit of research what's what's happened and think back um jot some things down ask family and friends you know if they've noticed anything different and try to figure out what might be going on and by doing that by kind of figuring out what might be underneath it, you're less likely to get into that place where you fear another one because you'll know, Oh, okay, well that happened because of this, this and this. And then that gives you kind of a sense of control. And because at the, at the heart of a panic attack is the loss of control and feeling that you don't have control in that moment that you are, you are not safe. You are not well, nothing is okay. And so when you have the ability to sort of regain control and go, okay, I know what to do. I know how to handle this. You know, then it it, it can kind of stop it in its tracks. Um, I have a few tips here that aren't kind of on the original list that we talked about um, of the the basic self care and you know staying calm and those kinds of things, but just some things to try if you're prone to panic attacks or if you have a child that's having them, um, just kind of unusual things that might be helpful to you. So one, of course, was um, you know breathing deeply or slowly, and, and we'd already talked about that. But uh, another one, splashing water on your face, um, that yeah. that sensation of cool on your face is kind of shocking and sometimes that can kind of catch your attention and, and help, you know, refocus your, your energy a little bit, um, a warm bath, you know, soaking in a, an Epsom salt bath or, um, a jet tub or something like that to just kind of soothe your body that can help, um, uh, a, must, a scalp massage can be very l- relaxing for some people. And so, okay. um, you could try that with your kiddos if that helps, um, you know, Prayer, meditation, um, reading poetry, you know, anything along those lines that kind of helps your mind to focus on something different. It kind of takes that takes that whole, you know, okay, I'm looking outward at this other thing or I'm thinking about this other thing instead of what's going on in my body. That can help Um, yoga. Some very basic yoga poses. Can help to kind of re-regulate you, and it, and you you know I'm not gonna I can't demonstrate those in a podcast, so I'm not gonna show you. But you should I can't. Have said,
1: see like this pose here is great. No one would have yeah. known.
0: <laughs> they would have known. But um, you can look on YouTube or Pinterest or any number of other websites um, to find uh, examples of yoga poses that can help reduce anxiety. And this is great for kids because what what a child learns by doing a basic yoga pose is they now have some control over their body and how they feel and it's something they can do and nobody has to do that for them. So um, I recommend looking that up and um, I'll try to include uh, a website in the show notes about, you know, different yoga poses that can be calming, especially for kids.
1: Yeah. And so again, that's, that's kind of stuff you do now when you're not in a panic mode, like in a panic attack, you're not going to think like, I'm going to do tree pose or
0: something (laughs) like that to get you out of it. Yes and no. Yes and no. So on the one hand, if you do those things on a regular basis, they become sort of old hat, right? They they become second nature. Uh So then when you are in a panicky state, your body goes, ah, I know what I need to do. That will help. And so any breathing exercises, calming poses, stretching, any of those things that help you feel calm and relaxed, you should be practicing them on a regular basis. And the more you practice them, the fewer panic attacks you're going to have. Um, but if you are using them regularly, then you, you kind of instinctively know, hey, this calms me down. So I'm going to do this thing right now. And so it's, it's both do it, do it when you're not and do it when you
1: are. Awesome. And I, you know, I've mentioned before in previous podcasts that I love coaching the littles. And um, there's a quote by Michael Jordan. I told my basketball team this year that we just formed that he works so hard at practice that way, when it gets to game time, his body's conditioned to do what it's supposed to do. So he's like, you know, I work really hard at practice. And that way, game time, mm-hmm. I just I just do what I do. And I, Michael Jordan, I think, was an okay player, right? Uh,
0: you know, sports, uh, <laughs> not my thing, but, but I recognize his name, so that's yeah. got to be a good sign. I'm, I'm going to your- guess he did some things.
1: It's on your shoes. That's why you know the name.
0: That's right. That's
1: right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason. Yeah. A few more ideas for responding if your child is having a panic attack would be, you know, to avoid minimizing mm-hmm. their distress. So, you know, don't tell your child, you're okay. You're fine. It's fine. That kind of thing really, you know, it actually amps them up a little bit because they're not fine. They do not feel fine. And those words are not helpful. Um, saying something like, I know you don't feel okay. Panic attacks are scary. I'll help you get through this. It will end soon. that that's the kind of message that your child or and, and even if it's not a child, your your spouse, your friend, um, whoever would need to hear. Uh, distraction is a really good tool. And there's lots and lots of ways to do that. Um, Exercise, playing a game, looking at photos on a phone, you know, some research has shown that looking at photos of happy memories triggers um, the release of certain, you know, hormones in your brain that, you know, help you feel calm or, or help you to feel more connected to the person that you're with. And so looking at photographs can be helpful.
1: So with the panic attacks and the panic disorder, at what point do you need to move beyond either that primary care provider and go to a behavioral therapist or talk about medication with your primary care provider.
0: So anytime you're dealing with a mental health symptom and mm-hmm. your self care strategies and, you know, just just trying really hard to track your symptoms and, and make sense of them and work with them on your own. Anytime it's not working and you're just experiencing, you know, dysfunction in, in school or work or family life because of your symptoms it's time to let somebody know. And so you can start with your primary care physician and say, hey, this is happening. Do you have any suggestions for me? Um, Are there any medications that might help? Because there are medicines that can help keep your anxiety level a little bit lower so that you're less prone to panic. Um, And so um, there, there are medications that can be prescribed if we're in the moment, you know, anxiety, but those are a little bit, you know, I, I don't necessarily suggest that. And I know a lot of doctors don't recommend that because um, it's more important to learn the skills to manage the anxiety than to have a pill that will resolve it. But but the bottom line is you can always reach out to your doctor and say, hey, is there anything that could help me with this? Um, and they may have some suggestions, but talking to a counselor is always a possibility, regardless of if you're thinking about medication or not. A counselor's job is to help you make sense of your symptoms and figure out some strategies that will work for you. So I don't think there's a point where you have to, you know, wait until you reach that point. And then, oh, OK, now it's time. If you're having panic attacks, you should probably reach out and, and talk to someone and, and let them know, um, because there's a lot of really great resources out there. And if you're not looking for them, you're not going to benefit from them. So before we wrap up today, Chad, I thought we would read another listener review. Um, oh, good idea. We, we, we so appreciate that. So we thought we'd read one here. Um, so this is from Zig Prins Mom. And they say, wow, this was so helpful. As a parent, one of my biggest concerns is my child's mental health while trying to navigate COVID, school, social relationships, and just the normal stuff that kids go through. I look forward to hearing more of your stories, too. Those are very interesting to hear. I love to hear people's stories. And we love to he- read your reviews. So we thank you for that review, Zig Prins Mom. And um, we hope that, you know, more people will leave reviews as well as those help us get the word out there.
1: Absolutely. That's what we're all about. So you can leave us a review and a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to. We appreciate it. As we've talked about in the past, the more reviews we get, the higher up the lists we go, the more people see and hear this podcast. And that's what we're all about. So if you know someone who could benefit from our podcast, please share it via social media, word of mouth, just get more people to listen to this because our number one goal is to educate and get more people kind of on, board of talking about something that people might find uncomfortable. On the next episode of Scrambled, we're going to introduce you to a family who lives with anxiety, uh, both childhood anxiety, panic attacks. And during this interview, we actually found out something that was kind of surprising and it could affect you in the same way.
0: We're wanting to start a conversation and that conversation continues with you.